We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories podcast, where everyday miracles happen in everyday lives. And it's my great honor to be with Dr. Paul Diep, who is an emeritus professor of health and well-being at the University of Exeter Medical School, but also uh, someone who has been very well published in healing and wellness, and someone who, if you go online, will find uh, very interesting talks on just his own medical career and the ways that he has brought about a greater understanding of healing. And so, Dr. Paul, one of the things that we always do on Healing Stories podcast is we begin with one question, and that is, could you tell us who you are? <laughs> sure, yes. Well, thank you for, um, for having me on this uh, podcast. I'm Paul Diep. I'm a uh, an English physician. I trained in medicine in London in the 1960s, qualified in 1970, and practiced medicine for uh, two-thirds of my career, I guess, uh, as a rheumatologist in a hospital practice. Um, but after a very traumatic incident in the middle of my life, uh, I had to change my career a little bit, and I went more into the academic world, uh, working in health services research, and then more recently switching to doing research into healing, which is what I do now. One of the things that is so striking is how your personal aspect of your own uh, traumatic in informs your research now. And I know that so much of uh, trying to understand our lives has to do with taking a look back. And I wonder if you could just share a little bit about that with us, uh, the ways that that, that happened and then uh, how it really moved you into different parts of your life and career. Sure, yes, we're pleased to do that. Um, so I, I, I've had two major life-threatening events in my life, each of which has shaped what I do and moved me towards the position I now take of working in healing, having been a conventional physician uh, most of my time. So the first one was when I was age 16, when I had an injury, um, a sporting injury, quite severe sporting injury, ruptured a kidney. And um, uh, the following day after the accident, uh, the doctors were thinking they might have to take my kidney out. And they were also actually apparently worried that I'd lost so much blood that I might not survive. And I had an extraordinary experience, which I remember very vividly to this day. Uh, when the doctors came to see me, I suddenly felt an overwhelming sense of joy and they asked me how I was, and I sat up in the bed and said, well, I feel absolutely fine. And, and I felt a great compassion for them and a feeling that they needn't worry, that everything was going to be just fine. And uh, they decided not to operate, and uh, I still have that kidney. Uh, and uh, I recovered. And later on, I was told that at that very moment, my parents uh, with the local priest have been holding a prayer meeting for me 
and that the feeling of the family was that the prayer meeting had saved my kidney and probably my life. Now, that's a pretty full-on thing to happen to a 16-year-old, and I struggled with it for a long time, and to some extent still struggle with it, but I think it's probably why I work on healing now. Having said that, uh, I had already decided that I wanted to be a doctor by the time of that accident, and I went on with that plan, went into medicine, and got totally seduced by scientific medicine, biomedicine and its wonders, and was quite successful in my traditional medical career. And my sort of uh, um, concerns about healing disappeared a little bit into the background until the second traumatic episode in my life when I was 44, uh, when I was taken hostage in Kuwait and Iraq in 1990. Uh, I was on a plane, a British Airways plane, that was uh, uh, travelling to Kuala Lumpur, where I was supposed to be doing some lecturing and teaching. And the plane refuelled in Kuwait just at the time at which the Iraqi forces were invading Kuwait. In fact, uh, we now know that it did that because they were landing some um, SAS Special Forces troops uh, into Kuwait and using the airliner to do that. But unfortunately, all the passengers got taken hostage. And uh, I was there for four and a half months uh, in uh, very difficult circumstances. And um, I couldn't afterwards. I wasn't uh, very well for a, for a time, not surprisingly. And I couldn't get back to the sort of clinical career I'd been doing before. So that led to my change to a more academic career in medicine and uh, the ability to start taking an interest in the things that that really make me tick and which had always made me tick which was the issue of uh, the importance of caring in healthcare, which had sort of been uh, beaten out of me by traditional medicine by conventional medicine uh, and um, and of course healing and uh, I also had one or two uh, very um, strange experiences around the time of the hostage taking, which reinforced my understanding that there was more to life than just the physical world uh, and rekindled my interest in paranormal activities, which I'd also had from quite a young age. So then I gradually was able to switch to what I do now the interim interest was in um, placebo uh, as an important factor in healthcare. And I'm slightly embarrassed to tell you that that interim period of interest was really driven by the fact that I still had um, two children in full-time education and um, uh, a mortgage on my house. So I didn't feel I could just go into healing research, which is uh, extremely difficult to fund and almost impossible to get employed to do. So uh, I could have a work on things like placebos and caring just about uh, within a respectable medical job and keep my employment in a university. So that's the journey. I'd only really have um, been bold enough to do what I really wanted to do since... Um, 
uh, I've been more financially secure and the children uh, financially secure. I just want to thank you for the courage uh, to, to have this moment of holding someone's story, especially these two uh, events. And I imagine over the years they've unfolded for you, uh, thinking about how all of us have some things happen to us. Like how, how do we not miss the moment, I guess? Uh, you you seem to have uh, reverenced those two things to to bring about a a, a light, and that to me is very. Uh, I, I approach this with gratitude. Uh, one, and how how can we be? What you're saying, this changed you forever, and it was things that you could not control. So, I, I, I... Thank you. I think that's an important facet of healing, really. And an important facet, there are all sorts of aspects to healing. There are all sorts of types of healing, I think. There are many, many different uh, facets to this. It's not a single definable thing. Uh, it's a set of different experiences with different people. But I think one of the commonalities to many people's healing journeys is finding new meaning and reframing what has happened to them. So uh, there are two responses to the sort of uh, traumatic episode I had uh, in Kuwait and Iraq. One is to say, poor me, and I'm a victim, uh, and this is disastrous, and this has ruined my life, and I can't go on doing what I did before. And the other is to say this is something that allows me freedom to change my story about myself, to change my life. Now, my transition from the first position to the second position was not immediate. It was not quick and it was not easy. It was a journey but I now see uh, being taken hostage uh, as a fantastic, uh, <laughs> funny phrase, a fantastic stroke of luck for me. Because otherwise I think I would have been trapped in the biomedical world forever. Uh, this sounds very pretentious, but I was quite good at it. And um, it's very seductive. And, of course, it's of enormous benefit to enormous numbers of people. Uh, so it's not a bad thing to be doing, but it's constrained. It uh, is extraordinarily arrogant, uh, I think, in its belief that it can solve people's problems when it can't. Uh, and so I regard myself as lucky of being able to not, not get out of it completely, but uh, go to a different position where what I'm trying to do really is bridge the two very different worlds of healing and of biomedicine. And they are very different worlds and very different cultures. They have no respect for each other. Uh, and I think I'm one of a small number of people who are in a position to try and span those two fields and uh, what I'd like to try and do is show biomedicine how much it can learn from healers and healing uh, 
and that's what I'm sort of trying to do in my very small way. And you're you're doing it in terms of a bridge as well as helping us with balance. In a lot of the articles that you are writing on, it seems that even in this disease, dis-ease, it results from an inappropriate imbalance, or you have used the word humors, uh, energies. That for us is challenging if you just go in for a visit with an A1C or you listen to my heart and then you you are done in 15 minutes. But this other work seems to be a life work and, and how one can recognize where the energies of their lives are overtaking them to not become whole. Uh, how does one learn how to how to understand their the energies of life so that they pe- can become whole? Yes, that's uh, uh, that's a big question. So the concept, of course, of energies and balance are concepts that have been around really in all ancient cultures in all times. Uh, it was very prominent in the early Greek medical culture, and it's a central feature of Indian Ayurveda and of traditional Chinese medicine uh, and indeed most other cultures. And it seems to me strange and rather extraordinary that we've thrown that out as nonsense following the scientific revolution and the power of materialism. And uh, it does seem to me, a big mistake for mankind to have lost its way, I think, in the sense of not understanding that the essence of the universe is about some sort of energy of which we are a part and which needs balance within us as individuals as well as, I think, within the whole of this world that we live on. So this is not just about individual healing. I think this is about planetary healing, uh, the concept of balance and of energy. And um, yes, the more I see of healing, the more I speak with healers, the more I experience, and this is essentially, I think I said this before, but it's essentially for me, this is an experiential issue. Mm. And the more I experience, the more I hear, uh, the more it is about finding a balance of energies. Now, the question you asked me is, how do we find that? And I don't think there's any simple answer to any of this. We're all very different people. We have different backgrounds, cultural beginnings, we are trapped to some extent in the uh, culture and age that we're in, this strange 21st century time that we live in, which is certainly quite strange at the moment with uh, COVID and all sorts of other terrible things going on in the world. So um, there are many different pathways to this for different individuals, I think. Uh, One of the things I really get slightly irritated by within the fields of medicine and indeed of healing 
is the idea that there is an answer, a single answer, which people can plug into. So I'm afraid my answer to your question is that each person has to find their way towards understanding their energies and the balance that they require. That's, that's an answer of self-discovery rather than I go and I look for the green shake or I look for the purple pill or I, I just sit and I talk to someone and hope that they can take it away. This way that you are giving us is one of an experience you've had. We've all had them. But then how do I integrate it? How do I reframe uh, so that I'm not blaming or judging my whole life or things set me off to the point that I say, well, why am I doing that? Uh, so that, I think, is where a lot of the listeners can relate, especially when we're in COVID and we're locked up and we haven't seen our families in a year. And all of a sudden, you're kicking the cat, as they say. Um, and and I'm, I'm not conscious of what's taking place. And I know you've written on this, too, is our own consciousness is taking a hit right now uh, in this period. And, and that, to me, is something to explore as well of just how to be more present to people. Uh, that, that might be a simple aspect to even my own question, but something that I think you've drawn out by us just saying, look at your journey and follow it. Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, although I've, uh, uh, said and, and, and truly believe that there is no prescription, there is no answer, there is no, uh, singularity, there are some simple things that all of us can do and to help us in the journey and in the reframing and in the connecting. So uh, as well as about finding balance of energies, uh, an, an associated big feature of any healing journey, I think, is connecting, uh, connecting with the living world, with nature, connecting with animals, connecting with other human beings. And, you know, that's easier, I think, for me, if I'm able to hug people and talk to them, which I'm not at the moment. Um, but it's not dependent on that. And uh, making connections with the natural world is hugely valuable to us, I think. And just being present, as you say, taking the time to uh, stop the, the noise, the, the babble that goes on in our head and just listen reverentially, I would say, to the sounds of the natural world, to pay attention to the sights of the natural world and to each other in any way we can so that we make those connections. And, and, and I think that's one thing. Another thing I think that we can all do is tell our stories. And another thing I've learned through trauma and other experiences and I'm working on now uh, in a way in talking to you but also in writing and I'm trying to write a book about healing and my experiences is telling my story and 
in a sense, as human beings, we are just a set of stories. We are stories of ourselves. And we can tell bad stories about ourselves or we can tell good stories about ourselves. And as we tell our stories, we change, we become a different story. Uh, I think that's a part of the human condition and always has been. Um, and so telling the story honestly, but also gratefully, mm. I think is something we can do. We can do it verbally. Uh, we can do it on a computer. We can do it with a pencil and paper. We can do it by drawing. Uh, we can do it in many different ways. Uh, so uh, I think there are things that each of us as an individual can do to simple things that can help us on our healing journeys. And these are things that can be done in times of a pandemic or anywhere if you're a hostage in Kuwait, although I didn't have the wisdom to know this when I was there. But these are things you can do anywhere, any place. In, in one of your research points, you studied this, right, of how people draw a sense of meaning. And, and the sun was one of the things that people drew a lot of. And I just think it's right in, it's right here. I, as much as I'd like to come and, and meet you on that island over in Europe, uh, which <laughs> hopefully someday we will, I can go outside and find a way to draw something that I'm seeing in, in terms of meaning. And, and even all of the collage of the words that people use, you, that word of, of love is, is overused at times of it is. I, I think there's striking components to that. And uh, I watch as my son draws. And isn't it true that there's some purity of that experience as well? Uh, you having two children too, you know, the children's drawings can be something of, of a depth of spirituality sometimes that is completely unexplainable. Yes, the, the the drawing issue is something that I uh, feel very privileged to have hit upon. It was actually when I was in uh, Australia on an academic uh, lecture tour in Australia uh, many years ago that I met a qualitative health research lady there who was one of the pioneers of using what's called visual ethnography, uh, which is getting people to express themselves by drawing uh, rather than in words. Um, and it's an extraordinarily powerful technique. Uh, and I've just found it amazing being able to work with people with this technique. So the first time I did this in anger, uh, was uh, in a, uh, a visitor, uh, a natural park visitor centre in the southwest of England. Uh, this is um, somewhere which is a large attraction uh, which champions uh, uh, the uh, <coughs> the world of uh, eco living and uh, um, is, a, is a large park. And they let uh, me and a couple of my colleagues go into this area one Saturday 
and just stop visitors and um, ask them to help us understand what healing was. And we didn't know what was going to happen, and we'd agreed beforehand that we would ask some people to draw, some people to speak to a microphone, and some people to write things down. And people found it very difficult to say anything or to write anything down. But when asked to draw, they were able to draw, and what they drew often surprised them. So I will remember one of the first people I accosted, and, you know, the usual thing is that people say, oh, I can't draw, to which you say, well, it's not about how well you draw, it's just about just something that comes into your head when I ask you a question and you'll get a picture in your head and just try and get it down on a piece of paper and we'll worry about what it means uh, later. We'll talk about it. And people will usually fine with that and they'll start drawing and they'll say things like, do you, do you know, I don't know what this is. I don't know. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, of course, that's what I think healing is. Oh, I didn't realise that. So it, it seems to be accessing some part of our innate knowledge of the world, some part of our being that is not, cannot be accessed by a linguistic approach to this or an analytical approach to this. Because when you ask people to, to give a definition or something of healing, they'll think about it, they'll try and be logical, they'll think, I wonder what he wants me to say, and then they'll start saying something rather self-consciously uh, that doesn't make any sense. But drawing somehow, as I say, access is something else. I don't know what it is, but it's rather wonderful. Uh, and um, I've been fortunate enough to work with colleagues who know to how to analyse such data. And I think we've learned an awful lot by using that technology. It's a fascinating part of how we are uh, simple in, in not having to have the right answer for you. And that's one part of our time together is that if we're just trying to come up with the correct answer or the best drawing, it really isn't going to help us to keep going on our journey. But rather, as you say, in a lot of work, it's deep, meaningful relationships with others, nature, uh, spiritual beliefs, uh, these things that are there for our own connectivity. And this is a period of time where connectivity is, is at risk is what I would say. And, and you're bringing us to be courageous uh, to, to go out and to make some connections uh, to get on that healing journey. Absolutely. If there was a way that uh, people wanted to get a hold of you, uh, I, I have uh, been so struck by uh, your ability just to be free. And I know there are a lot of listeners who might just want to reach out to you. Is, is there an email, uh, something that, that would be best for them? Uh, I know that uh, that would be helpful. Sure. No, I, I, I'd, I'd be delighted. I, I'm, I'm interested in other people's stories as well. So if people have stories they'd like to share with me, I'd enjoy that. So the email address is uh, p dot dieppe that's d-i-e-p-p-e p dot dieppe at exeter that's e-x-e-t-e-r dot a-c dot u-k amazing and uh the next book 
uh, do you already <laughs> have a sense of the title or is it, is it finished? I mean, one of the greatest challenges of my life is writing. So when you get something finally finished, uh, I just wonder where are you at with that and when can we expect it? <laughs> I, I guess it's about two thirds written. So it'll be a while yet. And I haven't as yet uh, sort of set up a, a publisher or anything. I'm working on that at the moment. So there's a little way to go. Um, I, I, it'll probably just be called um, Healing. Um, and uh, it, it's an attempt to provide a uh, the intelligent layman's insight into the research I've been doing on healing as well as stories of my own healing experiences uh, and ways through trauma. Um, and so it's a, a sort of a bit of a mixture of those things as it's shaping up at the moment. And we'll see, watch this space. It's not easy to write. <laughs> one of the great lines in one of your articles was uh, the word healing comes from the old English word Helene, I believe, that means whole. And I just want to thank you, Paul, for uh, reaching out and helping us to be whole today. And I look forward to reading that book on healing. Thank you. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.